Chapter Thirty Two of the Great White Queen by William Lequeux. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Thirty Two, War. Twelve days later, I found myself accompanying Kona, who, at the head of a great force of over eighteen thousand men, was crossing the treacherous quicksands by the way of the Thousand Steps. The critical position of Mo had been fully discussed by Omar, his officers and sages, and it had been decided to send, in addition to the force of twenty thousand men, to the Hambori Mountains on the northern frontier, a second expedition to travel with all swiftness across the sandy plain, and make a dash upon Samory's stronghold at Kusan in the absence of its picked troops. Within two days after Makana had brought news of the coming invasion, the whole of the twenty thousand men, with Omar himself at their head, had marched out of the capital on their way to defend the pass. I had expressed the wish to accompany them, but my friend had requested me to go with the expedition to Samory's capital, because, having been there in captivity, I could act as guide. To this I made no objection, and, bidding farewell to Omar, Galiba, and Nero at the city gate, I had watched them ride away at the head of a brilliant cavalcade, and the same evening at sundown descended the face of the cliff by the long flight of steps, and jumping into the saddle of a horse held ready for me, rode with all haste to catch up Kona, who, as leader of our expedition, had already started for the gigantic precipice known as the Gate of Mo. To Nero, an excellent officer, the leadership of the defending force had been entrusted, as he had already had experience of fighting in the Hamburi country, having been second in command of Kuaga's expedition when he conquered the tribes of Messina, while Kona, who had with him his valiant Dagambas, had orders to enroll another thousand men of that tribe when passing through their territory prior to our dash upon Samory's country. The passage to the desert by the way of the Thousand Steps was a brilliant feat, for of our great force not a single life was lost and so rapidly did we travel that within two weeks of the day we left the palace our dagambas who preferred their native spears and arrows to firearms were enrolled and we were well on our way to the great salt road a mere native path notwithstanding its imposing designation towards samory's great fortress city heedless of the noontime heat we pushed forward over stony desert and green grassland now plunging into those gloomy dismal forests of eternal darkness where the stench of decaying vegetation sickened us, only to emerge again into the open plain devoid of shade, scorched by the pitiless rays of the fiery sun. Snatching brief rests and pushing forever onward our great host of armed men and carriers, with the vigilant Kona at their head, pressed forward, entering at last the land of our enemies. The Dagamba scouts, travelling before us, splendid fellows, all eyes and ears, who could detect the slightest indication of an enemy's presence far or near, whether it were the broken twig at one's feet, or the sudden rising of a bird in the distance, kept us well informed of all transpiring on every side. For a hundred miles we marched through the Arab chieftain's land without any of its inhabitants dreaming of the presence of a hostile force and it was only by our sudden descent one night upon the small walled town of Tarola, which we sacked and burned, that they were awakened to the truth. But ere the news could spread to Kusan, about forty English miles distant, we, by a forced march, had already reached the capital. 
making a dash upon the place by night with our Maxim and Hotchkiss guns, the garrison were completely taken by surprise, nevertheless so well were its high white walls defended, that our forces were driven back with severe loss. Undaunted, however, Kona, who placed himself at the head of our Dagamba allies, backed by the well-armed soldiers of Mo, made a second assault upon a point that had been indicated by our spies as weaker than the others. The fighting was desperate, and the sight, viewed from where I was standing with the reinforcements, was one of exceeding grandeur. Night was rendered almost bright as day by the constant flashing of guns, and the noise of the tumult ever-increasing sounded high above the constant roar of artillery. Suddenly, as I gazed across the plain to where the sharp conflict was proceeding, a brilliant blue flash blinded me, and an instant later a deafening explosion caused the ground to tremble, while the red light of the guns gleamed through the increasing veil of smoke, and I saw that our men had successfully placed a mine beneath that portion of the fortifications near where they were fighting, and it had been fired, effecting a great breach through which they next moment poured, engaging the defenders hand to hand. Soon afterwards a signal light flashed thrice as had been agreed, and six thousand men, including myself, sped over the plain to reinforce our comrades. Soon, clambering over the fallen masonry where the enormous breach had been made, I found myself with my sword, the one I had used in the conquest of Mo, hacking right and left, endowed with a strength that only came to me in moments of intense excitement. The dash we made was indeed a brilliant one. The Arab defenders were, we found, fully equal to us in numbers and were withal magnificent soldiers, for in the broad squares of the city their cavalry, with their white flowing robes and heavy curved swords, committed frightful havoc in our ranks. Yet in such numbers had we clambered into the great chieftain's stronghold that they became gradually hampered in the streets and, unable to maneuver, were compelled to dismount and engage us in combat. The fight proved an even more desperate and bloody one than that which resulted in the dethronement of the Naya. So equally matched were the forces that the struggle raged with frightful ferocity, each side determined to secure the victory. In the old Moorish-looking streets, so narrow that two asses could scarce pass abreast, there were encounters more desperate than any I had ever witnessed, for the soldiers of the Samari and the fighting men of Mo, the two most fierce and valiant forces in the whole of the African continent, were pitted against each other. Cutting our way forward I found myself at last beneath the high whitewashed wall of the great Jama Talatha Biban, or Mosque of the Three Gates, one of the most ancient in the city. I recognized it by its fine dome standing out white against the flame-illumed sky, and remembered that when a captive in the hands of the brutal Arab ruler, Omar had translated to me the fine Kufic inscription on its handsome façade, recording its construction by Mohammed ibn Kira el-Mafiri in the second century of the Hejra. For a moment I paused under its handsome entrance of black and white marble, when suddenly Kona rushed towards me, crying, Quick, master, fly for thy life, here across the square. And as he tore away, as fast as his long black legs would carry him, I followed wandering. Scarcely had we reached the opposite side of the great marketplace when a deafening roar sounded, and an instant later, as I turned, I saw the great dome crack, tremble, and collapse, together with the high white minaret, with the whole of its façade fell out with a terrific crash in the opposite direction. 
our men had blown up the principal mosque in Samory's capital, an action which increased tenfold the rage of our fierce fanatical enemies. With loud yells they fell upon us from every quarter when, a few minutes later, they realized what had been done, and during the next hour the conflict became terrific. Hundreds were struck to earth by bullets and swords, and it appeared to me, striving as I was in the midst of the smoke and heat of battle, that the longer we fought the more numerous became the defenders, and the less our chance of success. Yet slowly we had succeeded in cutting our way from the city wall up the hill crowned by the great white kasbah, or fortress, which constituted Samory's palace, and were now actually within sight of it. Fiercely exerting every muscle we fought to attain our goal, but so desperate was the defense that time after time our forward movement was prevented and we were compelled to fall back bleeding and frustrated. In these valiant attempts to reach the walls of the Kasbah there fell, at a low estimate, fully five hundred of that portion of the force to which I had attached myself. With reinforcements we might have flung back the defenders, yet separated as we had been into small bodies during the earlier maneuvers, fighting was now taking place in every part of the city, no two bodies being able to unite their forces. To thus cut us off from another had, no doubt, been the tactics of the defenders, for we afterwards learnt that in many instances the smaller of our gallant little bands had been slaughtered literally to a man. At last, however, my worst fears began to be realized, for the defenders, receiving reinforcements, swooped suddenly down upon us, and with their swords and those sharp double-edged knives they carried in their belts wrought frightful havoc among us everywhere while upon us another body poured a terrible fire from their long-barreled rifles. As a result of this, although we made a spirited stand, once again we were compelled to fall back in confusion, leaving many dead and dying upon the stones. Suddenly I heard Kona's well-known voice behind me uttering the fierce war-yell of the Dagambas, and next instant we found to our satisfaction that a great body of his dark, oily-faced warriors had come to our relief. The reckless and savage manner in which they fought a few moments later was astounding, and it was certainly due to their courage and strength that the Arabs were first forced back, and then cut to pieces and utterly routed. This, however, did not carry us much further towards the Kasbah, for when within an ace of gaining its walls another body of Arabs swept across the great square with its clump of date palms, and with cries of rage attacked us vigorously with rifle and sword. The combat again became terrible, and in it I received from a big raw-boned Arab a severe sword-cut over the left wrist that caused me excruciating pain. Still I fought on, although half-fearing that our expedition was ill-fated. We had believed Samory's capital practically denuded of troops, and of such strenuous opposition as that offered we had never dreamed. But the assertion of the West Coast tribes that the soldiers of the mystic land of Mo not fear is certainly true, for never once did they falter, although the citadel seemed absolutely unassailable by reason of the fierceness and strength of its defense. Through the dark night hours we had fought on revengefully, and when dawn spread the gray glimmering light disclosed the terrible result of the deadly fray. Dead and wounded lay everywhere and through the suffocating smoke the fire of the rifles now seemed yellow where in the darkness it had appeared blood-red. By some means the Arabs rallied their forces, 
and I confess that the sight of the overwhelming numbers opposing us caused my courage to fail. Swiftly and unrelentlessly the attack upon us was delivered, and with such vigor that our van fell back, weak and decimated. Suddenly, without warning, a sound above the din broke upon our ears, startling to us. The rapid cackling was unmistakable, and involuntarily I burst into a good old-fashioned English cheer. One of our maxims had been tardily brought into play. Ere a few moments had elapsed, the Arabs, having already had a taste of the terrible effect of the deadly weapon during the recent campaign against the French and English, stood panic-stricken. Their hesitation proved fatal. Under the hail of lead they were mowed down, and ere the remainder could recover from their astonishment, a second weapon was brought into play, riddling their ranks with showers of death-dealing missiles. End of chapter 32 Recording by Tom Weiss, tomsaudiobooks.com